When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Notes Series 4, Episode 6. It's me, John Richardson, fresh and refreshed and ready for another year. I love New Year's, love life. <laughs> trying to do that positivity thing I was doing. Is it coming across? Yeah, sort of. A whiff of sarcasm about <laughs> it. Good old 2023 I tell you what, guys, I think this is going to be the year we get it all sorted. And the two men at the heart of those solutions are Mr. Ed Gillespie. Hello. And Mr. Mark Stevenson. Greetings. And I know our role is not to proffer solutions, but to ask the right questions. And the first question is, how are you both and how were your respective breaks, Mark? I'm already broken by 2023 because the workload is insane. And that's a good thing. We're doing great guns in taking carbon out of the atmosphere, which is fantastic. But I've never run a company that grows quite so quickly. Like we hired somebody on Christmas Eve. So that's kind of doing my head in. I'm talking to lots of recording artists and I'll have to see Peter Gabriel to talk about his next tour. So it's all a bit much, but it's good. There's one day at a time, and I can hear in the way you're talking that you're sort of taking it one word at a time. I think your brain is just saying, let's just say the next word. <laughs> we'll get to the end of the sentence. Yeah, that's pretty much how I'm doing it. Though. It's just like one step in front of the other and then just see where we end up. Ed, how's your sluice gate? <laughs> exactly. There's nothing like a metaphor to begin the new year, is there, than having a massive great log stuck in your sluice. <laughs> and I always feel like I should be saying that with a Scottish accent as well. It's like, hey, there's a log in my sluice. But yeah, no, it's not a euphemism. You know, I live in the watermill, so I'm right above the river. And part of my mm. riparian responsibilities is to ensure the rivers flow. And you can read into that in a much bigger picture if you wish. But I noticed there was a sort of backlog of debris building up in the water. And so I went to investigate the sluice, which is my job. And then I realized that I couldn't shift it because there's basically a tree trunk jammed into the sluice. So me poking at it with a stick in that sort of man solution type way, mm-hmm. like going, can I hit it? Can I knock it out? I soon realized that wasn't going to happen. My neighbor and I have both stood there stroking our chins, looking at it going, oh, but it's going to be difficult to shift this. In the end, I called the environment agency yesterday. So yes, if there's a metaphor to start the year, it's the fact I've got a massive great log in my sluice. The river is backing up and I'm about to flood the entire neighborhood. Okay, so you need to get your sluice loose underneath your hoose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we know a song about that. (laughs) (laughs) I learned the meaning of the word backlog from Susie Dent this week. It's a big log that you used to put at the back of the fire. So you'd have a big, massive log at the back that would slowly sort of burn away and you'd prop all the little logs at the front and they would burn quickly and you'd have a nice fire with a big backlog. Oh, the beauty of etymology is lovely, isn't it? These words that we we bandy about and then we don't realise where the origins are. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing that I, I think this conversation is now so interesting that we've definitely got rid of that backlog of listeners that we had. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let's discuss the etymology of the word shitstorm. <laughs> it's going to be the word of 2023. Let's talk first about 2023 from the point of view of Extinction Rebellion, mm-hmm. who put out a statement last week saying, we quit, and they have pledged to prioritise attendance over arrest and relationships over roadblocks, and they are going to halt disruptive protest tactics. How do we feel about that? Is that progress or is that a collapse we didn't need? Well, strangely, I was I was literally out with one of the founders of Extinction Rebellion, one of their strategists, last night. Uh, did you get there by car? Yeah, did you drive there, did you? Yeah, nice, you can drive, yeah. I bet they came there in a bloody helicopter, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went in a private jet. I flew yeah. Notting Hill. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> so the system's take on this is that Extinction Rebellion, actually, their ambitions are very much well-liked, but they're, they're, their tactics have pissed people off or constituency of people, and they need to bring everybody along. The good news is that Extinction Rebellion don't have to be doing that stuff anymore because we've got Just Stop All and Insulate Britain doing that. So basically, I think Extinction Rebellion have kind of sensibly gone, we're going to now become more like the Martin Luther King and less like the Black Panthers, and we'll let the Insulate Britain and Just Stop All do all that stuff because suddenly, you know, if you put those two things together in a system, you can go to a government and kind of go, well, you can either have us, where we're actually quite reasonable and actually, you know, police officers and lawyers and whatever actually agree with what we say and this is what we want, or you can have that lot over there, Insulate Britain and Just Stop Oil, who would you like to negotiate with? And that means actually Extinction Rebellion can still ask for quite radical things because the other people are so way, way radical. And actually the strategy would be Just Stop Oil and Insulate Britain should go as fucking much as possible because it makes a quite radical ask from Extinction Rebellion and other things like, you know, architects declare and doctors declare all that. It makes quite radical ask from them look quite mild in comparison to what you might get. So I think it's a, a wider strategy that they decide to fit into, which I think is very smart. They're going to become Rishi Sunak to just stop oils, Boris Johnson. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I, I, mean, I, I, th- I think the essence of it is, is like with the people and against the power. And I think that's very, very incisive. And I think you're going to see a lot more creative actions coming through on this. We're not name dropping here, but I was also in another session with some very senior people from that movement and a bunch of creative types talking about the type of interventions that can happen. And it's, you know, it's the the bits that move the hearts and minds of people and don't allow you to be played into the hands of that sort of slightly negative right-wing agenda, which can be very dismissive, mm. you know, where you're disrupting people's lives or you're, you're stopping ambulances getting to hospital. I mean, that's the sort of insanity we're in. So we have to target the power and take the people with us rather than disrupt the people in order to get to the power. Yeah. So it's not just that there are no ambulances to stop getting to the hospitals anymore because the NHS is in so much trouble. Well, this is exactly the point. The systemic problems are far, far deeper than the odd road blockade. But let's not give them the cheap shots to cover up the the systemic failures. I am writing this to you from, where do you think? The Andes of southern Peru. Ooh. What do you think of that? It's not bad, is it? Not a bad email to get on the podcast. That's at the end of the armies of south Peru, isn't it? <laughs> I'm on tour. My tour starts again tonight. Let me just write that one down. <laughs> Good evening, Liverpool. <laughs> I uh, received an email today from the Andes. <laughs> All right, this is Matt Perry, 3,300 metres up in a little community of Quechua people. Matt Perry from Friends? I don't think it's that one, no. <laughs> 
I don't think their feedback to his autobiography was so bad that he's moved to a rock community <laughs> up in the Andes. Although I did Google the reviews and it did get a right kick in. It did, didn't it? Yeah, really absolutely. Doing. Put me off right in mine. <laughs> I haven't even got any addiction issues. You have. Yeah. <laughs> You're addicted to cardigan niceness. Cardigans, yeah. And, and a, little, a little bit of port and brandy. Yeah. Lucy romantically booked us his and hers blood tests this Christmas. Yeah, maybe I could make some changes. Long time <laughs> listener for, well, we'll come on to health in a minute. I have a question for both of you. Long time listener, first time question. Following the last episode where you decided everything is wrong and we're fucking sick of it. Well, me too. Perhaps you've heard that Peru is in meltdown. It's sixth president in six years going to jail. I was reflecting on your rant about a Labour government coming in with new ideas for a new governance system. I wanted to ask you all what you think that different governance system would look like. I personally believe that I've not heard this term before sociocracy is the way forward having seen it work so well with the children's parliament movement in india and elsewhere giving young people change making opportunities people in peru are on the street demanding new elections yet are really just asking for the same shit i believe the same is true in the uk and most democracies in the world please discuss i love how you make shit show so funny i think he means a shit show in terms of <laughs> yeah. the world rather than your show's dog shit but it still makes me laugh <laughs> Well, I mean, there's like an arms race, isn't there, around the world? Like, Peru's done six presidents in six years. Is this what the UK is trying to rise to the challenge of? Yeah. It's like, how many how many leaders can we get through in the shortest period mm-hmm. of time possible? I'm slightly worried about Matt, though, because he says he's a long-time listener, but clearly hasn't listened to the episode with John Alexander. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> uh, I left out the bit where he says, could you do an episode on this? Because I didn't want to say, yeah. Yeah. Let's do one a few years ago. <laughs> I mean, I think the problem is that if you have a populace of people who just can't even read the notes, it's very hard to govern them in the first place. So he's- <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, he's got a point. I mean, sociocracy is very interesting. I mean, we, when we talked about the failure of democratic systems, I think the basic essence of sociocracy, if people and our listeners aren't familiar with it, is, is decision-making collectively around consent rather than consensus, and certainly not in the kind of incredibly divisive sort of simple majority type of system that we have in a lot of our democratic systems now and mark talks endlessly about how dysfunctional that is and the b word that we still can't talk about six years seven years on it still looms large in terms of the chronic divisiveness of that simple majority thinking but i think the really key thing about sociocracy is it's by consent so you don't actually have to have group consensus everyone has to agree but what you can say is i well, I don't disagree with that. You can actually just allow something to progress if you believe it's worth experimenting with. And that's really powerful. And it, it's there in a lot of the sortition processes that the citizens' assemblies and, and people like XR have been talking about and that are now getting much more groundswell behind them, simply because it's a more inclusive and then ultimately resilient process because it's based on mutual trust and effectively identifying and celebrating the things which connect us and that we all hold most dear. Anything to add, Mark, or are you just sticking with your go back and listen to the old episode, you piece of shit? (laughs) (laughs) It's fine if you are. I mean, mean, I've said this many times before, it's no surprise that governance is a shit show when you're using the same software, essentially, for governing a country that was invented 200 years ago. Nobody would do that in any other walk of life. You wouldn't think, oh, we use the same way of organising ourselves and making decisions as we did 200 years ago, like if you were running a business or something like that. That'd be like the equivalent of saying to your kids, I'm going to take your iPhone away from you and I'm going to give you a Babbage difference engine. 
now go and do social media. It's just fucking ridiculous. So on, on that, <laughs> what is the thing with your kids that you find yourself telling them they can't have? With me, it's YouTube, where I just can't explain to my daughter. Obviously, your kids just think the technology that they have has existed since the dawn of time. I have to explain to her, YouTube just wasn't a thing. You didn't watch just little bits of you know, with all due respect, feckless Americans screaming at video games. But I wonder if maybe I'm doing that thing where, well, YouTube is just the world now. So maybe I'm just saying, well, I didn't have that. I had to come home early and record Saved by the Bell. So you're going to have the same shit life I did. Is there anything where you think, oh, I'm just putting a pointless line in the sand here? We've also outlined sort of that great observation from Douglas Adams, which is that technology comes in three forms, which is anything that was there before you were born is just natural and you accept it and whatever. Anything that comes between you being born and about the age of, sort of 25, 30 is terribly exciting. It's, you can probably get a job out of it and make some money out of it. And anything that comes along after you're middle-aged is completely pointless and makes you angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> screens, actually, the, the addiction of screens. In fact, for Christmas, we bought our kids uh, an MP3 player called a Juki, which doesn't have any screen on it. They attach little figurines to it, which have players uh, yes, attached. Yes, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah, and that's great because they would be saying, can I listen to some music, Daddy? And then they'd just stare at the Spotify screen while they were listening to it. It's like, <laughs> so now they've got a little thing they can play with. So yeah, I mean, just screens generally. Yeah. And I think that's not just for kids, it's for all of us. Mm. I'm trying to reduce that as much as possible, which means they don't watch many movies. They don't watch... Since some of my gear though, right? You've put the old mantor on or just break them in with an idiot. <laughs> There's nothing, I think, more valuable for children to see a middle-aged man talking about his piles. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, is there a little John Richardson figurine for the Dukey, or do you need me to make you one? <laughs> what would be on the playlist? That's the question. <laughs> oh, yeah! <What? laughs> we did talk about you over Christmas, John, because we did, in fact, drink that bottle of wine that you bought me. Excellent. You don't have to consider my feelings in this at all. Tell me the truth. Did it taste nicer than other bottles of wine, or did it just taste like a 50-year-old bottle of wine when actually a 10-quid one from Co-op is much better? It tasted mostly like cherry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. But did it get you wasted? <laughs> it got me and, and, and my guests on the way. Thank Good. you very much. Good. I'm pleased. <laughs> now, let's move on to a light-hearted question, since we've already used the word shit show more than we probably should on a, on a show that aims to provide an optimistic view of the future. Sonia says, loving the Q&A style at the minute. I'm curious who your ideal dinner party guests would be. She's not put a limit on the numbers, so hers are the three of us, which is... Well, let's be honest, it's bullshit. She's just put that because she's emailing us, but I'll take the compliment. My kid brother, who is a fantastic guy living with autism and LD. I don't know what LD is. Learning difficulties, I imagine. Learning difficulties. Breen Brown, Tipa Snow, and bear with me, someone like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, or whomever the UK Prime Minister of the day is. I work in the NHS as an occupational therapist specialising in dementia care. Some of the invitees are the best in the business on caregiving and leadership. My brother teaches and tests me daily on patience, hope and joy. And the reason you make my optimistic wish list is the idea of pinning down your wit and influence with people who have access to resource only good can come. A silly dream, really. But if you had the opportunity to have a dinner party with anyone alive who would you invite and why all the best and thanks Sonia oh they have to be alive yeah she's thrown in at the end alive yeah I was going to say because I I was mentally going through my list as you were reading that and going yeah half of my guests are dead (laughs) well go on throw in the dead ones 
I'd love to bring in someone like Confucius, some kind mm-hmm. of ancient sage-like source of wisdom. Oh, we'd fucking hate YouTube. Well, I know, well, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like people who, uh, you know, these incredible individuals who had cracked some of the real dilemmas of what it is to be human and to to live a good and meaningful life, literally thousands of years ago. And I just love to sit down with them and say, so it's all worked out well, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, we've like we've been constantly trying to relearn those lessons that you set out for us several millennia ago. Anyone on your list, Mark? Well, no, not really, because I have dinner with the people that I want to. Anyway, and if I want to go and reach somebody, I generally can get hold of them. You know, I was thinking like, oh, Brian Eno, but I've been hanging out with Brian Eno all this week. This was the gag I was thinking about in terms of this podcast promoting the trans agenda, because you and I have both been hanging out with Brian Eno, which makes John non-Brian Enery. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's terrible, Ed, and there's a reason that we have John on the podcast, yeah, I, I think. I'm, I'm still going to be opening with the Andes and Armies gag, if that's all right with you. Yeah. I'm here to make John look good. Well, uh, you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice answer, isn't it? So that you, you feel that you have access to the people that you want to have dinner with? I mean, people are saying, like, oh, who would I, I asked? I don't, you know, another thought was, oh, Kate Raitworth. But... I know Kate Raitworth, we've had her on the show, so, and I have had dinner with her. So I guess for fun, I would probably, if I could like to sit down maybe with something like a Bruce Springsteen or a Beyonce, like a really major artist and how they've managed to navigate that without going absolutely nuts. And I think Bruce Springsteen's life lessons would make for a really good dinner. And in fact, Beyonce and Bruce Springsteen, any major artist beginning with B that's been around for a while, I'd have dinner with. Well, I'm going to say you too, because... I mean, we haven't actually had dinner in a thousand years, so it would be nice to actually get together in real life and have dinner, wouldn't it? I'm going to say Marcelo Bielsa, obviously, because (laughs) he teaches something about everything. And if I'm allowed dead, I'm going to have Martin Luther King and Rick Mail. Oh, laugh, wouldn't it? Be a bit of a laugh. It really would be. I mean, I had Bill Hicks on my kind of like dead funny person Mm. because you know you've got to go for the right mix, haven't you? And I think I think. The, the, the thing that Sonia was alluding to as well is like, you don't want just furious agreement or, you know, amazing life lessons. Mm. So I had people like Vandana Shiva who would bring in that kind of fantastic female indigenous wisdom into proceedings. And I'd love to just sit her next to Bernard Looney, like the CEO of BP, and just get them to talk to each other. Because I just don't think those conversations happen directly enough. I don't think he could fail to be moved. If I was going to go for dead, I'd go for Madame and Pierre Curie because I think what they did way ahead of the time in terms of science, but also in terms of like their understanding of the world and gender and prejudice and science and what was going on around them at the time, you know, blah, blah, and all the things they went through. I just think that would be an insane sort of, okay, get your popcorn out and just list everything they say for the next two hours. And what shall we serve at these dinners? Well, do you know, I was going to ask you that next, but that's a different podcast and we'll end up getting sued by Ed Gamble and James Acaster. So uh, <laughs> right. that, that question will have to wait. As talking about that sort of absurd right wing lurch to the same jokes and questions, it'll be bugs, won't it? That's what we're all eating in the future, cockroach pie. Well, I quite like bugs, but that's an ongoing rift between Mark and I. Yeah, you keep trying to get me to eat insects and I keep saying no because it's stupid. <laughs> Well, let's move on to this then. What will you be eating on your, teased on the document, forthcoming family trancation? <laughs> oh, yes. Mark and I, we're taking our respective families on holiday together. That's lovely. 
Yeah, we've been meaning to do it for a while. And then uh, I got Mark to foolishly agree to allow me to plan a train adventure to Italy. And then that came back to bite me because it then took me hours and hours and hours of European train timetable coordination to actually make it happen. But yeah, we're going all the way to the Italian Alps via like one of the most beautiful railways in the world, the Bernina Express, which goes right across the top of Switzerland. It takes two days to get there by train and two days to get back, you know. But that's part of the holiday, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to have a mob of children and lots of time on the train. And yes, ways to entertain small people on, on long journeys. I'll be very interested to hear how that goes because it's <laughs> one of the great arguments Lucy and I have is that she says, I don't want to lose all that time of the holiday traveling. And I try and say, well, we don't lose it. We'll do the Paris bit first, then we'll have a night in Paris and then we'll do the next bit and then we'll have a night there. But I think she feels that that long on a train is unbearable anyway, certainly with children. Well, let's just see if the future not still exists as a <laughs> Exactly. We'll come back after February half term. We'll be like, John, we're really sorry, but um, Mark and I are no longer speaking. <laughs> I think I'll have fallen out with myself before then. So don't worry. <laughs> so I'll just say I'm no longer speaking. Not to anyone. I'm just not speaking at all. So a topical question. If I may, it's it's January. I dare say a number of our listeners will be trying dry January or making sort of health reforms. And there's been a, a big news furore this week about Ezekiel Emanuel, who is an oncologist and a health advisor to the uh, American government, who has said that he plans to refuse all medical intervention after 75. This sort of easy story to misreport, I think, where it's about willful death or whatever it's more about saying if i am to live past this age i want to be naturally healthy and live a good quality of life and then if i get ill not sort of go on a long time in a sort of medically induced state where it's not what i consider to be real life he's 65 so it's something he's been saying a long time and people say you'll change your mind he's now 10 years away from that point and still seems to be sticking to it 74 will be the big year to ask but have either of you thought about your personal health and how long you want to go on for and whether we at some point owe a death Hmm. death is not a stranger as my old man used to say before he died. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a very personally sensitive moment for me because, you know, I'm watching my mum, I think, start to lose her memory, possibly with early onset dementia. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's quite scary to see how the personality and the woman that you love and the family member that you really care for, when you, you start to lose that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, physically, my mum's not in a bad place but you know mentally clearly not there but I was really struck I read Andrew O'Hagan's book Mayflies last year and then watched the dramatization on the BBC over Christmas which was pretty good but the book I absolutely loved I pretty much read it in a day and that is totally about male friendship but one of the central characters in that is basically diagnosed with an incurable cancer in his late 40s but What's beautiful about the book and profoundly moving is the choices that he then decides to make about his life. And like you were saying about Ezekiel, deciding not to live through the debilitating part of it, but actually to actively choose to go to Switzerland, to go to Dignitas, to go to an end-of-life clinic, but to go with his best friend and their respective partners, and to go out on an absolute roaring high while he's still fit with his faculties uh, and still functioning. And 
and it, and it's just a, an incredibly emotional book about the stresses and strains that that puts on the immediate relationships around him. But it's also beautiful because it was like Ezekiel; it's him making an active choice about the way he wanted to go. And so, yeah, I think those thoughts have to be live. Mark, he wants to be a cyborg. He wants to go on forever. Yeah, I've struggled with death. A lot. Don't like it. I think it's a bit of a pain in the ass. It is, who is it? I think it's Will Self that described death as, as rather the flying the ointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think that. I mean, I just think, because I, I work out quite a lot, I'd like to be the guy who's still going to the gym at 90 and whatever, and then just kind of like cocks out one day because I've worn out. That's my preferred way of going. I think that's Ezekiel's point, isn't it? I think he's quite willing to be that guy. He's quite willing to be the guy going to the gym at 90 and then conk out but he doesn't want to be the person being eked out at a point when there's not a lot left. God, that's appropriate use. Ezekiel being eked out. Yes. Can you eke out a Zeke? <laughs> this is the worst show ever for shit puns we've ever done. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, you've already criticised a listener for not going through the back catalogue, but I'm confident <laughs> there's been a shitter show than this for puns. <laughs> We did ask listeners to get in touch with not puns, but marketing mishaps. I think, Ed, you put a call out for places <laughs> where people have tried to do a witty joke and it's backfired. And Hitesh has been in touch from India to say, not countrywide marketing, but remote places where I grew up, a lot of small independent shops were promoting the fact that they sold chilled beer, but instead spelt it wrong and would make a big deal of selling child bears. <laughs> Do you want to talk about energy or acting? Oh. And you can say no. <laughs> acting. 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 A lot about energy on this show. So well, we have, and it is, uh, is another one going on similar ground. It's, it's a question about energy bills at the moment and when we'll finally get behind green energy. I suspect there are no easy answers there. Samuel J. Jukes has been in touch, who of course is an actor. How could you do anything else with a name like Sammy J. Dukes? Thank you for the podcast. Uh, I would like to ask your thoughts on advertisement and marketing. We've already referenced Bill Hicks in this episode, so it might be a good point. He says, I noticed that a number of your episodes have adverts, several of which are Christmas ads for companies like Starbucks. On your show, you've talked many times about consumerism and how we as a human collective must reduce our consumption. I'm not trying to call you out as secret capitalist pigs. I myself am an actor and regularly audition for adverts with companies that I disagree with, like McDonald's. What I'd like to know is, how do you feel we who make a portion of our wage through partnerships with advertising for products we don't necessarily agree with can try to produce a more collective move away from these morally bankrupt companies and yet still pay the bills. Is there something we can do or do we have to hope the good fight is being fought higher up the chain? P.S. I'm from Shropshire. I don't believe John has graced us with a Shropshire accent on the podcast yet. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Well, Sam, as an actor, I wish you all the best. I know my limitations and the Shropshire accent is <laughs> bang in the centre of my limitations. Niche. A very niche, yeah. So is this going back to our old friend, the spoon with which we sup with the devil? Yeah, probably. I mean, I can't remember if I mentioned it before on here, but so I grew up in the same sort of family circle as Olivia Coleman, who was my late father's goddaughter. But it's really interesting because she was always predisposed to being a performer. But I remember in the very early years of her acting career, she did like an advert for the AA, I think. 
And I remember seeing this advert and I remember having a conversation with my mum going, oh God, what is she doing? She's completely just selling out. And I think I remember having a conversation along the Bill Hicks line going, oh God, you're just whoring yourself now. You're no longer creative artist. You are essentially a corporate shill selling out to commerciality. And of course now she's probably the greatest living actress for her generation. (laughs) So I don't know. My advice to Sam is like, yeah, it is, as John alludes to, it's the long spoon. It's very difficult. We can't escape from it completely. I wouldn't take quite such a binary view as Bill. It depends how you do it and who you do it for. And, And interestingly, from our perspective, I guess we have absolutely no control, do we, over what ads get stuffed in the middle of our conversations no so in a way we have to abdicate that responsibility as well we hope our listeners obviously tune into them with exactly the right kind of cynicism and skepticism that we do Mm. yeah i mean we don't have a say i mean the the way around this of course is to get uh, listeners to to pay us to do the show Mm -hmm. so cough up (laughs) <laughs> it's a large enough check, and we won't bother you with those tiresome adverts that uh, pay for the production. I mean, we don't get paid anything hardly at all for doing this, but this is to cover the production costs and the production company. So, so yeah, the logic I've always used on this is sometimes you have to take money from places that you may not necessarily like or be pure, but it's, it's what's the direction of travel. So, for instance, people who say, well, I want to get into doing some of the work that I do, whatever, and they say, but I can't earn money doing that, so what do I do? I say, well, as long as you're heading in that direction, you can use that money in the service of going where you need to mm-hmm. go. But if you're caught by the money, and suddenly that's the thing you're doing rather than the thing you wanted to be doing, then you're in trouble. So if Olivia Coleman needed to pay the rent that week, but she had the very firm idea that she was going to be this incredibly iconic actress, and that's that's kind of okay because that's the direction of travel, if you'd have thought, actually, making money from adverts is pretty good and I'll just do adverts for the rest of my life, then that would have been a capture and that would have been bad. Good point. Well made. And there will be someone out there who was so spellbound by Olivia's performance in that advert that they signed up to the (laughs) AA and then was caught in a freak snow blizzard and unable to drive, whose life was probably saved. I mean, I I may be exaggerating here, but I think I'm right in saying Olivia Coleman has saved the lives of thousands of motorists who would have otherwise perished on the A66. (laughs) So who remembers Jez? Oh, Jez, the, uh, the teacher. Jez the teacher, yeah. I thought you were going to say Jeremy Corbyn, but no, it's <laughs> Jez the teacher who uh, emailed, uh, you may remember a little while ago, who's going to quit teaching, and then we talked him into not quitting. <laughs> well, we've got an update from Jez. Mark, you you stayed in contact with him, he says, and you had some lovely chats, and you discussed talks and things. He says, as for teaching, I finally gave it up this summer, so they wrung another two years out of me, but this time not running away out of disillusionment, rather running towards a new life, leaving the rat race and attempting to hugely decrease my consumer impact. So he's moved to rural mid-Wales. He's, uh, he's got some land. He's trying to grow as much as he can. At the moment, he's spending his time clearing fields and cutting back brambles. And what he's doing is listening to podcasts and streaming music while he gets on with his job. And he has an interesting question regarding streaming and its carbon footprint and toll on the planet now against the old toll of actually printing CDs. He says the question of streaming and its effect, not from artist revenue side, the fight for which was spearheaded wonderfully by Tom Gray, but from a carbon footprint side came to mind. Am I contributing to this by being one of now millions and millions 
millions of people streaming and thus helping the likes of Spotify, Amazon, Apple to need bigger and bigger service to support new and existing music and pods. Mm. Is this now better or worse than buying physical formats and keeping them so the environment takes a hit on resources, transporting CDs and vinyl out to me in the trucks with their dirty big engines? Is it also a problem that a 62-year-old man is listening more to Pink Floyd and Roger Taylor than the Sex Pistols and the Ramones because the former songs are now more relevant to me than songs about dysfunctional brain-damaged teenagers and their shitty lives? (laughs) Am I trapped somewhere between nostalgia and rage? Thank you for getting back in touch, Jez. It's lovely to... uh, trap between nostalgia and rage that's, that's an interesting place to be that is a quantum pig lyric is it uh, oh he's a good guy this he's jet, referenced it? it he's referenced it i didn't even want to say it but he also then ends with a leeds reference so i think he's a leeds fan as well i mean this this guy is he is he our best listener you don't want to get into it do you Matt Perry needs to take some lessons from Jez about listening attentively yeah yeah getting the detail and then doing callbacks yeah yeah Matt, the answer is go and email Jez, get the kind of support group together and get your listening skills up. <laughs> <laughs> but when the, sim- the simple answer to Jez's question is that downloading and streaming are always better than buying the physical product. But actually, there's a big difference between downloading and streaming. They're not the same. Streaming uses more energy. Basically, the first time you listen to the track, it's about the same. But then every time you stream, obviously, it requires energy to to stream from the server. Whereas if you download remotely onto your device, then the playback energy is much, much less. I know he said he didn't want to talk about artist revenues, but obviously, also, if you buy and download the track, then you also contribute more to the artist that you profess to love. So the short answer is, Jez, download and don't stream. And obviously, if you've got one of the kind of premium services, you can download from the streaming service onto your device. So the stuff that you listen to regularly, it's much, much better to do it like that. I mean, there is also like a huge footprint to those servers. But, you know, increasingly as we move over to a low-carbon economy, then hopefully that will come down. But if you are worried about it, Jez, then my carbon removals company will soon be launching a consumer partnership where you'll be able to remove the carbon you put into the atmosphere so that you can listen guilt-free. Well, we know he's going to. He's he's literally got involved with every other thing we've said, Jess. So we have to be careful here because whatever he asked Jess to do, and this is a man who's walked out on his career and roofed to be a farmer in rural Wales while listening to Quantum Pig. I mean, I would imagine if you look out of your window in about an hour's time, Ed, you'll find him chainsawing the log that is locking your sluice at the minute. Jess, you are welcome anytime, my friend. <laughs> on that, finally, because we have to wrap up shortly, it feels remiss not to touch on the great news stories of the time, and that is at the moment clearly worker strikes, ambulance workers still on strikes, poster workers on strike, and many more coming. Train workers, of course, have been on strike for it feels like about a year now, and a government who seem absolutely clear that they are not going to engage in any talks and that there is no money in the pot and a future that I feel like it would be a shame if we didn't have public transport, postal services or nurses. I don't really see that as a better quality of life for any of us coming. So where are we on that, gents? Well, this is a symptom of the deeper systemic 
problem we have, which is the human race takes environmental degradation and turns it into short-term profit for a very small number of the born lucky, and they keep hold of all that, and then they kind of go, well, there's only money to go around. Right? So there's plenty of fucking money to go around, but we've got this ridiculous system that says some people have to create fucking loads of it, and it will trickle down to the rest of us. Well, actually, there's needing a much more equitable system that accounts for all the stuff that we do. Like, as Kate Rayworth says, if you're going to start running the system by valuing everything, then we know how about the value of being a parent or all the domestic work that women do that doesn't get accounted for, but it's hugely important, you know, Adam Smith himself was able to write The Wealth of Nations because he's been looked after by his mother. The economic <laughs> dogma, that the story that we live in, we don't question. We just think, oh, well, where's the money going to come from? It's like, there's fucking loads of it. It's just still in the wrong places and it's being held on to people who've got it because obviously once you've got it, you don't want to let go of it, which is why you tend to find the people who are the most generous, the people with the, with the least and the people who are the tightest cunts are the ones who've got the most money. The whole system. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We're, we're getting back into rage now. I, I, Mark, you're back on form. You started off like you were struggling with every word at the beginning of the podcast, as John pointed out, and now you're back in full yeah. flow. It's good well, to like hear. Pre-Christmas, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I'll just add to that. It's like, you know, you've got a government that's completely run out of imagination and ideas when the thing they're targeting is our collective right and power to organize as citizens and workers and that is such a fundamental element of society that we have a right to defend our interests by collective action i think this is another step towards a potential captive state that we shouldn't tolerate and i and i think if you wanted a metaphor to sort of illustrate that and the love and the courage and the solidarity that is required to stand firm in the teeth of this type of political hostility you know i don't know if you saw that story this morning of the ukrainian surgeons who removed a live grenade from a soldier's chest now what goes through a surgeon's mind as they are trying to remove a live explosive device from someone's body while the bomb disposal people look on to make sure you don't trigger it. That's a kind of metaphor for our times, I think, the love, courage and solidarity that's required to do the impossible. Amen to that. If we were the BBC, we would have to have a Conservative government minister on to make the case for, I don't know, something. But we're not, so we don't. So thank you, gentlemen, <laughs> for, your, for your insight and your compassion and your yeah. time as well. You've both got a lot on, and I appreciate your time. We will be back, as ever, on a weekly basis. There are lots of fantastic questions that we have that we've taken out that we just didn't have time to get to. But if you have new questions, then, of course, this series is all about answering your questions. So send them to us, and here's how you can do that. And also just to say that if you're going to send a question, make it as good as Jez's, please, with all the relevant reference points and back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, don't just shoot from the hip. Or I am uh, having referenced compassion and time and all the great things these gentlemen do. I don't know if you know much about my work. I'm a piece of shit. So if you really want to wind Mark up, then go back, find an episode that we've already done, don't listen to it, and then send a question in asking if we could do an episode <laughs> on that thing. <laughs> And I guarantee you I will ask it, if only to piss off a man who is already tired and exhausted and on the edge. Because <laughs> that's just who I am. Yeah. Gentlemen, And until we meet again, where, yeah. where do we find you? Where are you off to, Mark? Yeah, I'm just running around building this carbon removals business. I'm chatting to lots of recording artists at the moment about doing tours and carbon removed gigs i was chatting to jacob collier's people this morning and off to speak to peter gabriel etc etc so yeah it's kind of my worlds are colliding and uh, i'm feeling very happy about it but i'm absolutely knackered and, and ed yeah i'll just be trying to get my sluice loose Uh, that is going to be the main focus otherwise loden is going to be a lot wetter than it might anticipate being
Well, join us next time for more carbon jargon and loose sluices. It's John Richardson and the Future Noughts wishing you a wonderful new year and best wishes and more power to your arms and your Andes. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha